on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're entering a bleak, soulless dystopia in which there is no hope in the new adaptation of Brave New World, checking out the BBC's Dr. Foster spin-off Life, and entering a bleak, soulless dystopia in which there is no hope in the Comey rule. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, your weekly guide to all things great and worthy on the box, plus whatever reality bollocks Boyd and Terry have been hoovering up over the past week. And speaking of which, I am, of course, joined by my two illustrious co-hosts, both Hoovians of some high renown. First up, a woman who, if she were one of the Doctor's companions, would be described as our very own Donna Noble, ever ready to <laughs> deliver a bellowed oi should the need arise. It's Terry White. How are you, Terry? I'm all right. How are you? I would like to think I'm part Rose Tyler. Of course um, you would. Mm. Of course and, you would. And part Donna Noble. <laughs> I've definitely got some. I think scrappy, that's fair. Yeah. Some scrappy, mousy Rose Tyler about me, haven't I? I think so. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, boy. Well, yeah. Well, you've heard him already, but. <laughs> Also with us is Pilot TV's very own Nardole, if only because there aren't that many male companions to choose from. It's Boyd Hilton. Especially bald ones, to be fair. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I felt a bit pressed. I was like, I don't yeah. really know. And also, I have no idea who any of these people are. And yeah. so I had to do a bit of Googling. That's fine. And, and I mean, that seemed the way to go. I mean, it's possibly anti-Semitic, but I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, having started with the Hoovian intro, I should probably, let's lean straight into what we've been watching this this week and uh i will begin with the fact that i did as promised watch heaven sent ah. the doctor who peter cavaldi episode that you tasked me with watching yeah um what the fuck was all that about <laughs> jesus i followed maybe five percent of that because it's like it's like seemed to me like doctor who's waiting for godot do you know what i mean like he's sitting Ooh. there he's monologuing but he was talking about Dalek hybrids. At one point, he had a psychic conversation with a door. I was just like, it's very good, but I don't know what is going on. I didn't understand, honestly, half of what he was talking about. And my main thought from this is, who is this aimed at? Surely kids are not understanding this episode. Like, right, they'll be well, looking at their parents going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I picked it as being like the least kiddie one possibly yeah, in Doctor Who history. Like it's yeah. dense as all hell. Like, it's, it's beautifully done. Like, I yeah. thought it was great. That said, that said, so, so my things with it, I didn't understand stuff about Dalek hybrids and chosen ones and whatnot, and he did rant a little bit incoherently, but I thought it was really, I like that kind of nightmare puzzle box prison idea yeah. and i thought it, he carried it really well i also like the fact that you're right he's utterly humorless and i, I really appreciate that so that's quite good yeah I, <laughs> there was a whiff of the you know i always got like the creaky cardboard set thing in that the thing that's chasing him around is some rubber puppet in a sheet and it's like okay that's maybe not the best effect i've ever seen in my life but i, I don't think it was that detrimental it just that was probably the only thing that reminded me that it's kind of more of a kid show that just the, the low fineness of the puppet but i thought it was it was a really bold piece of television for yeah. what I think of as Doctor Who. Right. I was I was pretty right. impressed. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See, that's please the... explain what it was about, though. <laughs> um, I can't explain what it was about. Yeah, frankly, um, it, but it is very complicated and. De I mean, it's basically him reliving the same experience, isn't he? In a kind of Groundhog Day esque way, which you only realise I think halfway through. Don't yeah. You? Yeah. And it's what that means really for him as a, as a as a being you know kind of because he has to literally go through millions of years doesn't he kind of doing the same thing and again, so again. just after clara's died so it's yeah. come right off a properly seismic yeah. episode and i think he's being toyed with by the um by the time lords um 
in that way, and that's so it's almost like they're playing a game with him where he has to relive this this moment, relive mm. these these set these this set of events again and again, millions of times, and then cracking through. I mean, I haven't watched it that recently, but I remember that that so powerful him cracking through that that thicker than diamond, whatever that thing is that He's punching wall, it, yeah, punching it. I mean, I, I just yeah, I mean, I remember not understanding it particularly. But finding it unbelievably moving and impressive. See, as I say, I'm watching this out of context. But what I felt this, it felt like it covered something quite major. Like there's a couple of things he says about the reasons he left Gallifrey and something about this hybrid and him being like the harbinger of doom. That seemed like a properly big plot point to drop, even if I didn't understand it. But also, so this has come right after the companions died. Yeah. Yeah. And that this feels like one of those things that drive me mad when they do it in TV shows, where something massive happens and you're desperate to see what happens immediately after, and they wrong-foot you with something really bizarre, which is almost not what you want. Like, you want something more straightforward to kind of properly understand um, what's happened. Is that... Did she yeah. die at the end of the previous episode? Yeah, kind of. Well, kind of, yeah. But okay. I, I, I think... I don't know. I think it didn't, it didn't turn out that way for me watching it. I think it maintained... Like, that episode actually wasn't as incredibly intense where where she dies as as you might think whereas this oh, okay. episode is solid is it it's quite divisive is this one no no i think most people absolutely i think if you i i think peter capaldi is is divisive a, a bit in who fandom yeah terry <laughs> terry's doing a big thumbs down. thumbs down yeah so there are a lot of people who think he's too too moody and 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 um miserable oh i like that's him what serious. you'd like him Joe. Oh, yeah, I do. that's why i, I do yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah, he is. He is. I think he is much more what I want the doctor to be. Yeah, I want right, him to take right. himself very seriously. Right, and then this, if you like, is like peak him, obviously, because it's just fucking him. Apart from yeah. that thing following, as you say. So, if you're not a Capaldi fan, if you're not a fan of of of, of high serious Doctor Who, high concept, then yeah, you won't like it. But I think, I think, I think for a lot of fans, it's it's absolute treasured piece of it's just an incredible piece of of filmmaking and and television drama. Yeah, it? and it very much not a kids episode of TV. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. So, so so I watched that, and that my 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 move towards Doctor Who has has there've been a couple of inches movement towards the positive side. I was like this this has this has opened my eyes to a new side of Doctor Who, which is good. Yeah. Someone on Twitter um, suggested the girl in the fireplace, which was a really good suggestion. As well. Should I not be watching Doomsday, Terry? Is that is that yes, not a thing should I should be, be watching? watching Doomsday. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, I was next in line after Ooh. Capaldi shot. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. We'll Capaldi see. I'm still shot. not a convert, but I, I feel my, my horizons have broadened slightly. That said, so what else I've been watching this week, which I'll do very, very quickly. I watched season two, series two, I should say, of Happy Valley all the way through. Mm. It's so much better than series one. I, I much, and don't get me wrong, I thought series one was great, but I much preferred this because there are there are more layered plot lines to it. There's a lot more going on. There's a lot more texture to series two. It's also, I mean, it's not happy. Like this, this show should not be called Happy Valley. It should literally just be called It's Grim Up North. <laughs> like that should be the name of the show. It's Grim Up North. Because the whole idea is they're in Yorkshire and everything is grim. Nothing is good. Like that's the whole concept of this show. Nothing good happens to anyone ever i think um, they're just to say i think there actually is a place in the area which is known as happy valley by the locals and uh, ironically because it is a place a quite a grim place of you know <laughs> right fine. drug so taking etc it's intentional yeah. so it's intentional yeah yeah, but it's really good, and the stuff that's going on within the family and externally, and this plotline with with Mister Molesley was great as well. Uh, yeah, I I thought this was. I mean, I was properly compelled by this. I couldn't stop watching it. I thought it was great, and I think it wasn't as like grubby, miserable as the first series. Like this was more just low key. It's grim up north moodiness, as opposed to quite nasty triggering stuff. But yeah, enjoyed that. Happy Valley series two, great. 
thumbs up from me. Two thumbs up. I okay. I've been watching. Um, I, I think BBC Two at the moment is 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 knocking it out of the park. Is going through a brilliant time, particularly Sunday evenings. So Sunday evenings on BBC Two. This is the current lineup: Mortimer and Whitehouse go, gone fishing, which is a deep joy. Paul Paul Mortimer and Bob. Bob Mortimer for White House, <laughs> which I've mentioned before, much to um, James's disdain, because mm-hmm. it is one of those, in quotes, reality broke. It's a beautiful documentary series of these two people just chang shit and fishing. Then you've got Harry Hill's World of TV, which is a gloriously funny look, Harry Hill look at TV genres. And he did cookery shows this week, and it was fucking hilarious. Then you've got Louis Theroux. I don't know if you've seen any of this, Terry. Terry, I'm talking to you. Yes, please. <laughs> Terry's only peripherally with us on this podcast yeah. this week. Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched any of Louis Theroux's Look Back series currently on BBC Two, Sundays, 9 o'clock? What do, what do you mean Look Back series? So he's looking back at his classic... Um, no. Yeah, it's great. You'd love it. So... Every week, Sunday, Boost to nine o'clock, Louis Theroux looks back at his own um, shows of years gone by. So last week he did all his, when he started doing shows about prisons and criminals, you know, he mm-hmm. did that. Yeah, he did that episode where he met paedophile, um, paedophiles in America in a, in a special um, mental hospital slash prison. And he, and, he, and he talks about those experiences and he looks and he tells stories about what it was actually like getting to know those people. So you get extra insights. Really is good. this the one where he's met with the two Nazi twins and yeah. they're reformed now? Yeah, yeah. I exactly. read about this. Yeah, um, it's re- that's really good. And then after Louis Theroux at 10 o'clock, you get Better Things, Pamela Adlon's absolutely brilliant American comedy series. Um, oh, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Which, um, which we reviewed, I think, and I mentioned. And the current series of that is the best series ever. So you've got, it's from start to finish. It's brilliant. BBC Two, Sunday nights. Uh, so Gogglebox is back. Gogglebox yes. is back. Gogglebox <laughs> is back. Gogglebox is back. Is that the Gogglebox song? Terry's Gogglebox song. Gogglebox is back. I'm very excited. Main show, not celebrity, not US celebrity, normal, classic, British family, Gogglebox. Very excited when lockdown first started. So, you know, March, April, into May, when the entire world was going to shit i was very invested in gogglebox watching them watching the news about covid kept me sane ish um oh and sophie and peter back on my favorite the brother and sister in blackpool like the whole thing's brilliant um i've also watched i think it's the second series or it's like the second batch of shows they've dropped five guys a week so oh, are yeah. we across this? <laughs> yeah, you really so, are on the reality shit that James I mentioned. Am. So Five Guys a Week is um, kind of <laughs> what it sounds like, which is a single woman, it's always woman so far, has four men she's chosen. No, five men, five guys a week, Terry, come on. Five men she's chosen <laughs> um, and they come and live with her for a few days. She gets rid of a man like a day or sometimes in the morning and at night. She does things with them, like she has them over for dinner with her parents. She takes them out clubbing in the local nightclub with her mates. Sometimes she'll like get off with one of them, even though the other four are watching. Sometimes somebody will get drunk and make an arse of themselves. Last week, a guy was trying to chirp on another, chirps on another girl um, when she was there. Do, I'm sorry, do what? Chirps. <laughs> Chirps. Am I supposed to know what like, this means? It means crack on with. Chirps. Like crack on. Chirps. Like, like, yeah. Chirps. Is, how's in. it spelled? Chirps in. C H I R P S. Chirps like a bird. in. Look at you, chirps in. 
Amazing. See, Happy Valley didn't prepare me for that one, sorry. No, exactly. But so I think they dropped four or five episodes of this. Um, They dropped about four or five ages ago, and then there weren't any more, and then they've just dropped loads more. And they are just television (laughs) trash gold. Amazing. And then the other thing I've been watching is Intervention, which I've talked about on the pilot podcast before, which is the brilliant... um, uh, addicts intervention program where they believe they're being followed by a documentary film crew for a documentary about being an addict but they're actually being followed by a television camera crew from the show intervention and they film them getting fucked up and being addicted and you know taking drugs or drink or whatever their their problem is and then two-thirds of the way through the show they stage an actual intervention in a room with one of their core interventionist who you get to know as the show goes on and they try and intervene and send them to a a rehab they normally fight and argue and say no and then end up crying and having to go and then at the end you find out if they're cured or not or if they're like sober or if they ran off through some woods instead which sometimes happens um and that's what i've been watching which is a corno 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 what's that word cornucopia cornucopia of um uh life Wow. wow. You didn't hear any of that, James. I didn't. No, it's true. I, I <laughs> stopped listening. You and James weren't paying any attention. Yeah. <laughs> you went, boy, sorry, you're oh, James. Uh, oh, my God. Sorry. I was looking something up about um I'm so tired. I started hallucinating guys. last night. I started oh, no. hallucinating when I was awake, which I don't... I think that's just dreaming, awake dreaming, isn't it? I believe it's called psychosis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, awake <laughs> dreaming, yeah. It's not psychosis. I've got baby full-time work exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, on the tube, I was like, oh, God, I'm... A, I was like drifting off into like another world. Do you dream that you were chirping at some young man? <laughs> Chirpsing. Chirpsing. Sorry. Chirpsing. Chirpsing. <laughs> oh God. Right. Anyway. Anyway, that is probably enough of what we've been doing, wasting <laughs> our time over the past week. Sorry. Can I just mention one Doctor Who thing? Because um, yes. I got I got confused last week between Lady Cassandra. Oh yes, you did. Yes, you got called out for this Bo, on Twitter, and I did. So I wanted to mm. I wanted to give a shout out to BJ Ramos forty two, aka Vote Biden Harris twenty twenty on <laughs> Twitter, who pointed that out, and I was devastated because what a stupid mistake to make because face of bow is just a giant head call yourself a movian yeah whereas lady cassandra and you could also get a little uh, action figure of lady cassandra brilliantly why would you want one of course you'd want one no but like if you're a kid it's a bit hellraiser isn't it it's quite brilliant it's a brilliant little thing to make a little um plastic object out of anyway yes Anywho, let us yeah. move on to this week's listener question. Now, helpfully, this was one that was suggested for me on Twitter, and I completely failed to note down the person who had asked it. So if this was your question, oh. I apologise profusely for not crediting you for this. But they were asking, could you name some bad seasons of great TV shows? Yes. Boyd, okay. what do you think? I'm going to start with the most provocative one. Yeah. Lost season six. Yes, this Fucking came up hell. quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, I am, I am, and I've been a lost, I've been in a lost fury since season six actually went out. Do they call, um, do they call fans of lost, lost boys? Or uh, is that a thing? Lostie, yeah, they Losties. Do, yeah. Losties. Because <laughs> um, 
I actually I went on set of Lost, of course, which I always bang on about. Of course you did in Hawaii um, for the first series, and met Damon Lindelof and, and all the others and everything. And they were absolutely certain. They were, they were very firm in the fact that they knew where this was going. They had the ending. They were just they were just lying. I'm I'm basically accusing Damon Lindelof of lying because in series six they just end up adding creating whole new mysteries and things and timelines and not addressing and not really solving the basic mysteries of the show, which is why the fuck is mm. this thing existing and why were they how were they there and all of that it just wasn't really <laughs> addressed and it was infuriating and i think it was the kind of show that led you to believe it was going to explain stuff and it didn't and it fundamentally didn't in fact it, and it started up other things and explained those almost as a diversionary tactic and i thought it was infuriating the final episode is, is you know is a very well made piece of tv but the, as a, the season as a whole the last season was fucking tedious and annoying <laughs> arrestive development the netflix revival yeah. AKA season four. Now, the original one or the remix? Well, either both. The, the original, um, just too in self indulgent, just self indulgently kind of taking the same event and seeing it look through the eyes of all the different characters in different episodes. Because what made that show brilliant is, is all the different members of the family and their associates kind of bouncing off each other comedically, whereas that to se- they separated out, I think for very, for filming reasons, mostly. That's how why they decided, the showrunner decided to do that. It just didn't work. It was a kind of, it was a not, you know, because fans of that show were looking forward to it so much. And I think uh, we all felt let down. I am going to say American Horror Story 1984, which was the mm. most recent series of American Horror Story, which I was really looking forward to because I love slasher films of the 80s, which is what it was. Um, riffing off but it was just so not scary and contrived and it had about two out two two episodes worth of story and then just petered out after the third episode and there were another six or however many to go it was and i think there is a problem with like that whole american horror story thing some series of that show just kind of have a kind of visual sensibility and riff on something and they're quite and have an amazing cast and they're very camping over the top but they're just not scary or interesting, and they peter out. That was that. And then finally, I'd mention um, True Detective Season 2, mm. which just Season 1 was so amazing, was so intense and focused on on its characters. And Season 2 was a sprawling, all-over-the-place kind of epic with too many characters. You know, it just wasted this incredible cast and just wasn't really – it just didn't have the same atmosphere, that same kind of dark, dank weird creepy atmosphere it was just a completely different thing it just could have been a completely different show and then i think it did bring it back again for season three but season mm. two was a big disappointment i agree 100 percent. terry are you going to kick off with the final season of buffy <laughs> i'm gonna say season seven of buffy right hang on that I'm is just... the final one isn't it was it eight was it eight or seven eight. how many seasons did was it have it? did it have eight eight oh buffy season eight is a comic so yeah there yes, are only seven yes, seasons yes. of buffy yes yeah buffy progressively got got worse and i think when you actually look at a lot of massive shows um they either progressively got worse or it was right in the middle that they sank and for me this season of buffy right you have Anya who dies without pretty much any ceremony whatsoever took about a cobbed away death you've got all of the potential slayers being established oh, which dreadful. is which is boring you know oh no spike's on a quest to reclaim his soul again whatever shall we do <laughs> uh, caleb was kind of fine but i just think you know i always think with shows like that end a season before you think you need to end mm. um also i want to say Season nine of Friends, right? Mm. And I couldn't work out. There's something very weird and uneven and patchy about that season nine. It's when 
Um, the aftermath of Rachel having the baby when they're first getting to, to grips with having Emma. Um, Joey can't remember kind of how many women he slept with. This is the whole weird Tulsa storyline that I never really understood. And I was reading about season nine on the internet and the internet said the reason it feels weird that season is because everybody thought it was going to be the last season and that when they started it, the, that's what they'd written the arc for. And then halfway through, they'd kind of begged them some more to do another season and they had, and then they had to kind of slow down the velocity of everything mm. and extend it because they wanted there to be another another season, but they'd already started planting seeds for this one to be the season. And, you know, there are things like, I was watching some early episodes the other day and like Rachel in season nine is just awful and spoiled and irritating and all those kind of that comedic work they've done with her from from you know pretty much season three onwards where they actually made her funny and charming and all of that kind of gets forgotten and she went back more towards the spoiled Rachel of of the first season Mm. I also want to say season eight SVU two words and anybody who watches SVU will know exactly what I mean when I say Danny Beck oh I, I don't know what that means. No, so I don't know either. Danny Beck, Olivia had to go off for a while and leave Elliot Stabler. So instead, I think it was four episodes or five episodes, they brought in another lady detective who had a dead husband and some kind of issues with people being nice to her and was a closed-off character. Starts working with Elliot, whose entire character is based on him being a good father and a good husband. And he gets off with her against a car, therefore oh. making taking any tension out of the live in him, will they, won't they? Because Chirps suddenly in. it's like, well, he'd have been chirped in her. <laughs> if, he's, if he doesn't care about his marriage that much, then there was no reason for him not to be together with Liv. And that whole tension of, of actually he really wants her, but he won't betray his, his wedding vows. That entire thing has now just been shown to be a nonsense by the fact he just got off with... Danny Beck, and nobody liked Danny Beck. Danny Beck wasn't the right person for SVU, and she, like, sank that entire season. Um, And then the last thing I want to say is the final um, season of The O.C. Oh, yes. Marissa. Marissa. Season. Marissa died in the car crash caused by Ryan's brother at the end of season three. Remarkable episode. That entire season was good. Um, Not as good as season two or season one. But... Then you had Taylor, right? I mean, Taylor, who was meant to be the kind of complete opposite of Marissa in that she wasn't spoiled, she was down to earth, she was studious, she was all of these things, but mainly boring. So you'd replace Marissa, who was like fun and a bit of a nightmare and a bit spoiled, but, you know, was always compelling, with a girl whose entire function was to be nice after Marissa had died. And her and Ryan had no chemistry whatsoever. Um, and that entire... You know what? They should have just ended it at season three. Marissa dies, the end. So hang on. So t- weren't there only three seasons of the show? No, four. There were four? Yeah. Definitely. Don't make me doubt myself. I'm hallucinating. Uh, hang on. Four. There were four. Okay, four, good. Yeah, four. Yeah. Good. Thank You're God for that. Up. I thought I was going yeah, I thought there were four, yeah. Don't just make checking. me don't make me like question my own mind. Like I'm just gaslighting you. <laughs> oh my god! You could so easily gaslight me at the moment. Honestly, very vulnerable. Oh god. <laughs> um. Okay. No. It's a good shout. Good shout. Um. Oh god. Where do we even start with this? I would say 
Mm, well, first of all, I would say, so the West Wing has no bad seasons. That goes without saying. I will say season five is perhaps the only slight lull, which is the first season after Aaron Sorkin left and John Wells has kind of taken over. And it took a little while for it to find its feet. So you've got the first four seasons, which are amazing. And then you have five where it's trying to be what it was before, but without Sorkin. And it doesn't quite work and then season six and seven it finds its own groove and it becomes a different show which is not the same as the first four but really good in its own right because it's all about the campaign and santos comes in as an ex-presidential candidate so actually that that really works really well but five is the one that stands out as a not bad but a not great season i would say what else would I say sticking to final final seasons that shit the bed season eight <laughs> of dexter is a fucking travesty mm, like yeah dexter had had a little f- some ups and downs certainly but it had been consistently decent and that in that last season what the actual fuck was that all about it was terrible i mean the lumberjack <laughs> finale let's not even get into but that what was the incest subplot with deb like jesus i mean that was a, i love dexter and that was a complete car crash it almost ruined the show for me that final season did um season seven or series seven of red dwarf stands out for me red oh. dwarf's another one that's had some ups and downs but series seven was the first one which really well now again sort of there's a trend here this was the first series after rob grant had left so doug naylor was doing this on his own and again i think it was it was an adjustment period because six i really loved six and then seven was just bad like they reintroduced the christine kachansky character and she became a regular and i mean eight wasn't great either and it didn't really get back into its stride until 10 but seven was the first proper wobble so that sort of sticks with me a little bit the worst offender i think of all of these is friday night Lights season two uh, and Friday Night Lights, which appears on a lot of critics' best TV shows ever list, is an amazing TV show. It really, really is. And uh, it never got a huge audience, but it was always pretty critically acclaimed. Now, the second season, though, I don't know what happened. I think they were all smoking crack because Coach Taylor isn't the coach anymore. So that doesn't work at all. But worse than that, you get this subplot where Landry and Tyra are trying to cover up a murder. And it's just like, it's gone so off the rails melodramatic it just doesn't fit with the format of the show on any level and that storyline just doesn't work and it just feels like you're watching a different show and the ratings tanked and the show came so close to getting cancelled after season two but luckily it was saved by the writer's strike so the writer's strike of that year meant that the series would cut short to 15 episodes so mercifully they had to put that whole subplot out of its misery and then they restarted with season three and almost pretended it had never happened like let's never speak of this again and the show from then on picks up again it gets much 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 better and it all and it actually gets better than it was in season one so it's phenomenal but season two like a lot of people stopped watching it at that point understandably and i think missed how great it, it actually ended up uh, ended up becoming other ones i would say justified season one is terrible because justified season one is a procedural and it wasn't until season two that it became an art-based ongoing story show which is much better but it's just like Raylan givens the martial procedural it was just really generic and tedious so i think that was a bit of a missed opportunity um no one i know lots of people talk about scrubs season nine but then some people insist that there is no Scrubs season nine because scrubs <laughs> finished with season eight and then bill lawrence as i recall said oh he had many mouths to feed so he resurrected it for another ninth season but like a lot of the main cast members were either absent or in much reduced roles and it really was a kind of like to pay the bills type season so i think a lot of people when they rewatch scrubs they just stop at eight because that's a proper ending to it um sons of anarchy we mentioned last week but season three in ireland really is the nadir of that show let's never ever speak of that uh, <laughs> and then 
Boyd, this comes up a lot. I think it might be a bit harsh, but I understand it. Game of Thrones season eight. Yeah. And it's, I, I understand it. I know. I understand it as well, but I, it's not that bad. It's just not that bad. It's not that bad. But not, is, not only is it not that bad, there are some brilliant yes, and brilliant episodes. 100%. I think yeah. it's mainly because it feels rushed. Because it was rushed. It's truncated. And I feel like because all the other seasons feel quite luxurious and they take their time and they really delve into the story and the characters, mm. while it picks up pace and you get a lot of velocity in season eight, it feels a lot like they're just trying to get it done and i think that's a real shame especially when you've put in so much time up to that point uh, and yeah. also the bells episode which was ridiculous right if that is it is that it are we done oh i was just going to mention roseanne season nine was terrible when they won the lottery yes, disaster. yes. um and homeland season three when it was all about his bloody family i mean was, homeland season two was pretty bad because yeah. they didn't know what to do with it because homeland felt like it was a one and done thing and yeah. then it carried on going and again that was yeah. another one it found its feet eventually but it took some time it took some time they needed yeah. to get rid of brody really to make it do that yeah some might even say the wire season two but that is heresy what are you talking about <laughs> that, no you, you know what it's funny you say that you're right like the wire season two doesn't get yes. a lot of love but it's fucking brilliant i mean oh, i don't know i found it quite oh no i think it's brilliant i think it's mm. actually one of the more audacious really? of those seasons I, it's not yeah. my favorite but it's really really good but i wonder whether a lot of the reason people don't like why season two is people got so invested in barksdale and bell and that yeah. whole crew in season yeah. one they didn't want to see these working class white guys on the docks like they weren't no, exactly. this wasn't what they tuned in yeah. for and it felt no. like a massive anticlimax. yeah to be fair i haven't watched it since it went out yes but at the time i was like oh but I'm with you 100% because when I first saw it, I didn't like season two because I felt like it was a bait and switch. I'm like, this isn't why I came. This isn't why I you know, paid for. Give me back my string of L. Uh, and yeah. then when you realize that each season is its own track, then when you rewatch it, you're yeah. like, actually, this is really good, but you've got to accept it for what it is and realize yeah. that you're not going to see a lot of you know, McNulty and you're not going to, you're not going to see a lot. That's going to come in back in season three. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it's, it's, it's a good season. It's a good season. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't mention Parks and Rec season one. Well, yeah, there's an, that's an almost a question. It's on a different question. Is yeah, comedies that start really badly and yeah. when do they get and good? Then, and then get Seinfeld, good. Because Seinfeld seasons one and two you can forget. I think. Well, Shit's Parks Creek, which we're going to be talking Shits about Creek, very shortly. 100%. Yeah, Shit's Creek. I have, I've had so many people going. It won all those Emmys, <laughs> and it, it's a bit shit. And I'm like, yeah, you have to get to season <laughs> three, really. <laughs> But that's another thing. It's like, who sticks with something to the, like, oh, it gets good three years in. It's like, who has that kind of time? Yeah, it could be good enough. I think with Shit's Creek, it's fun enough to persevere with it. And, and the cast is so great. But then when you get to the end of season two, beginning of season three, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is, this is hitting its stride. Well, we've started talking about Shit's Creek. I will say that was the question, but it was anonymous. So I can't say thank you to whoever submitted it. If you would like to submit a question, then feel free to send it to us via DM at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter. Uh, but let's get into news and let's start with the Emmys, which will bring us to Shit's Creek. So, Boyd, what did you make of this? It went, it went out over five nights but we finally at the end got the uh, the heavy hitting awards mm. were you did you laugh did you cry yeah i thought it was pretty good i mean i i, I tweeted that you know shit's creek shit's creek dominated comedy mm. in, in a record breaking way i mean incredible unprecedented and i think there was a sense that it really people really discovered that show a lot of people discovered that show this year in lockdown because of netflix because of netflix globally um and just because they wanted something that was so relentlessly 
funny and and kind of pleasurable and not it doesn't really go dark Shit's creek ever like mm. it goes moving it has moving moments in fact the finale is brilliantly moving but um it doesn't go dark and it's it's literally a bright you know show full of funny characters doing st- stupid silly stuff so i think it captured a mood i think Shit's creek winning mm. all of those awards actually which was fine and um for the other two big winners to be succession and watchmen i 100% behind those because mm. watchmen was absolutely the the best thing. It's a big year for year. for HBO, wasn't it? Because I mean, they've lost yeah. things like Game of Thrones and Veeps, which are big Emmy heavy hitters for themselves. But then it shows that they, you know, they can carry on at Succession. You know, Watchmen. They've actually and Euphoria. You know, they they've managed yeah. to to yeah. to still bring in the wins there. Succession is a masterpiece. Watchmen is a, is a, is a single series. If it really is going to stay that way, mm. masterpiece that will go down in TV history is one of the greatest things ever. And to see like the likes of Regina King honored you know i'm so so deserving of that it, it is just now I've, i i am going to rewatch it actually because I, I i i'm inspired to watch it all over again <laughs> even though i only went out six months ago was it the end of last year i think yeah eight months nine months ago it's just funny though because it was a really good year for hbo and yet uh netflix who we've you know already mentioned netflix can take responsibility for Shit's creek sort of sweeping the board but netflix itself did not have a great streamers as a whole i think didn't have a great year at the emmys this year netflix no. went in with 160 nominations over 52 different shows and walked away with two and admittedly like 19 of the the creative arts ones but well, they uh, did win directing didn't they for a limited series with Unorthodox, which I thought yeah. was Ozark and Unorthodox were their two yeah. wins, but uh, that's I mean it's not great for them. And again, Amazon as well didn't get a lot of love either. Yeah, Mrs. Maisel, um, which usually does yeah. get a lot of Emmys, didn't lost out to Shit's Creek a lot. I was happy with that. I like Mrs. Maisel, but I, I can't. I, I don't think it's incredible and amazing. Some people do, mm. but I do think there's an interesting. We started talking about it over the last few weeks about the Netflix way and I think they again I think they have to be careful because they actually think that there are going to be examples of stuff we review in the near future spoiler alert <laughs> where there's not enough story to yeah. sustain a Netflix 10 hour series and it's happening more and more and I think you look at HBO there is enough story to sustain Watchmen and Succession and their shows and The Night Of these classic mm. Dramas, they know how. And in fact, there's, I've, you know, I've seen some, some of a, of an HBO drama coming up, a single series, limited series. This is only five or six episodes. They just know what to do with these things. And I think Netflix is commissioning 10, 12 hours of stuff. It's too much. Why? Why are they scared of shorter seasons? Because we saw this initially with their Marvel shows, which should have been six episodes long and were like 13 agonizingly drawn out hours of television that just didn't need to be. I think I think they think that viewers, that Netflix subscribers, want more and more and more. They just want more of everything, you know. So to, 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 that's why they're commissioning hundreds of new seasons of everything, hundreds of new stuff every year. Most of it of eight, ten, twelve episodes, too much. And I think if they honed it down, if they if they got more selective, and if they recommissioned their best stuff to bang on about that as ever, it would be better. But mm. I just it, clearly their business model is working because they get more and more subscribers, and they're off the chart in terms mm. of you know the, the, their subscriber figures and, and etc. So who am I to say? But I just think artistically, creatively, it's not. It, it's they've got to be careful. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, but uh, Disney Plus again. I mean, they won a few again Creative Arts Awards, but uh, Mandalorian didn't win Best Drama Series, but like it was ever going to. Uh, but it was nice to see that uh, Billy Crudup took Best Supporting Actor for uh, The Morning Show. So Apple TV yes. Plus, of course, yeah. got there, got yep. a little nod there, which was nice. Um, should we quickly run through the main winners just so that people know? Outstanding Drama Series, Succession. No huge shock there, I would say. Outstanding Comedy Series, Shit's Creek. Outstanding Limited Series, Watchmen. Um, what else have we got? Lead Actress 
actor in a drama series, Jeremy Strong for Succession, lead actress in a drama series, Zendaya for Euphoria, lead actor in a comedy, Eugene Levy, Schitt's Creek, lead actress in a comedy, Catherine O'Hara, Schitt's Creek, you're seeing a trend here, outstanding lead actor in a limited series or movie, Mark Ruffalo for his lol fest, I know this oh, much yeah, is that's, true. <laughs> that was that's funny. Bad. Yeah, that is bad. I, wrote a, I read a really funny tweet on the night while I was trying to watch it on the internet, one of the big American critics was like, well, the only reason for that show existing was for him to win an Emmy, and they've achieved it. <laughs> it's true. Although, frankly, I was rooting for Paul Mescal in that category. I'm gutted he of didn't course. win. But, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, outstanding lead actress in a limited series on me, Regina King for Watchmen. Very well deserved there. Uh, supporting actor in a drama series, Billy Crudup for The Morning Show. Uh, supporting actress in a drama series, Julia Garner for Ozark. Supporting actor... In a comedy series, it, uh, Daniel Levy, Schitt's Creek. Uh, supporting Who's act- really the lead of that show, by yeah, the way. Yeah, quite. Anyway, uh, anyway. An outstanding supporting actress in the comedy series, Annie Murphy, Schitt's Creek. And then also supporting actor limited series, Yahya Abdul-Mateen for Watchmen. Supporting actress limited series, Uzo Aduba for Mrs. America. Uh, and that those are all of the others reality reality nonsense 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 um, <laughs> and some other bits of bobs you can look them up on the internet yeah. you don't need to go through every single category but uh yeah some good stuff I mean, there. there are about 50 exactly we could so... be here for five days if i yeah. go through all of them so uh yes um it's also nice to see that unsurprisingly john oliver won again for uh last week tonight which i do think is one of the best shows on television but um, we mentioned Netflix briefly, Boyd, there, but Netflix, and we mentioned Netflix swinging the axe, which, of course, they have been wielding yet again this week. The Dark Crystal being the latest victim of this. Didn't even make it to a second season, um, yeah. which is a bold classic. choice. Textbook Netflix. Yeah, classic Netflix. Yeah. I mean, how expensive was that show? Fucking expensive, also, lavish. They've got the puppets now, though, so surely yeah, just yeah. use them. And they made a big song and dance about it. It was like, you know, it, it was incredible. They were, had people on set watching the magic happen, and it was a whole big thing, and they axed it after yeah, one and series. And it won an Emmy, incidentally, at yeah, the Emmy's for Outstanding Emmy. Children's Programme. So, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, I, and I thought it was, I mean, you know, for what it was, I thought they did a pretty, pretty good job, pretty great job, really, yeah. at, you know, reviving that thing. But very, very net, very, very... 2020 Netflix, that decision. Very indeed. Um, what other news? Did you see uh, Jason Isaacs is joining Sex mm. Education? Very excited about that. And Jemima Kirk and uh, Dua Saleh uh, is joining it. Uh, Jason Isaacs is playing Peter Groff, Mr. Groff's more successful and not very modest older brother. I can already see the comedy goal that's coming out of this. Uh, cannot wait to see that. Yeah, sex education is the good side of Netflix. Yeah, we yeah. have to we have to compliment them on c- continuing that show. Yeah, and if they cancel it, then we all cancel our subscriptions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, there were two bits of Friends news. Two separate things, actually. There was uh, there's going to be a Friends table read with an all black cast. Um, so this is kind of being arranged by uh, Gabrielle Union. It's going to include Sterling K. Brown, um, Ryan Michelle Bade, Uzo Adabar, Aisha Hands, Kendrick Sampson, Jeremy Pope. Um, and they're going to do one of the greatest Friends episodes of all time. Season three is the one where no one's ready. Could I be wearing any more clothes? (laughs) Which sounds amazing. And then, interestingly, Jane Sibet, who played Carol, Ross's uh, lesbian ex-wife, she gave an interview in which she just randomly kind of revealed that she was initially offered the role of Rachel instead of Jennifer Aniston. 
And yeah, she said, well, she was like, oh, I was offered one of the uh, main six parts. And then I think they pushed her. This is the second Carol, not the first Carol, right? Well, so, and this was my point, and they don't pick up on this in the article, is Carol wasn't Carol initially, because that very first Carol was a woman with a very bad perm. (laughs) And then proper Carol, Jane Sibbert, came in, and she said she turned it down because she was actually pregnant. um, And so she didn't want to take this role. But yeah, so that was like... I don't know how that works with the original Carol and why the original Carol went away. But yeah, she's, she's after all this time, as announced, she was meant to be Rachel. These, like, um, these table reading Zoom star stuff, yes. they are fucking amazing, aren't they? I mean, the one, yeah. I know it's nothing to do with TV. Well, it is. But the Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, Fast Times of Ridgemont, Ridgemont High zoom read thing that happened last week was one of the greatest things i've ever seen oh and i should say we should say this one um by gabriel union is um is going to be held to benefit when we all vote which is an organization that's trying to increase voter numbers registration numbers in um in america but i mean that jennifer aniston one and julia roberts and brad pitt was amazing just because you were trying to work out the interaction and the dynamic yeah. between them all was incredible. Brad's face when Jen spoke and like yeah. clearly her and Julia Roberts were WhatsApping each other doing like <laughs> five things under the table. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's one moment, you're right, there's one moment where Brad Pitt has got the pirate hat on and Julia Roberts and Jennifer Aniston aren't looking at him and they're looking down like we are like we often are when one of us is talking in this fucking podcast. It's brilliant. Yeah. Speaking of these particular things, the West Wing one of these has now got an air date uh, yes. it is going to air on October the 15th two weeks before the US presidential election uh, whether we'll get to see it over here remains to be seen I don't think you will because the, all these things are charity yeah. uh, American voter drive charity things and I don't think you're supposed to be able to see they'll them. end up on YouTube I'm sure they'll end up right. on YouTube okay. but uh, if James has anything to do with yeah. it they will end <laughs> yeah. up on YouTube I'll make someone in America put them on YouTube <laughs> um, but this is it's going to be exciting so Bill Clinton's going to be there uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's going to be there uh, Michelle Obama's going to be there, and they're doing the Hartsfield Landing episode. So I'm, I, you know, I'm, I must see this. Like somehow I must see this. Uh, that'd be very exciting. But Terry, I, you have not mentioned something that you told me last night you were doing around the West Wing, and you have not mentioned it on this show yet, and I don't understand why. Well, because um, I thought you might ask me at some point. Terry, like you have just have now randomly got without any link. any plans to I don't know watch a new show. <laughs> well, so. I was when I was watching one of the things we will be talking about later, um, which is the Comey rule, and it made me think, oh God, you know what? James bangs on and on and on about the West Wing, <laughs> and I it's one of those shows that would occasionally be on, and I'd watch the odd episode, but I never sat down and watched it. And then I think I started working with you. And your kind of all-consuming love for it popped me massively off. Yeah, of course. Unbearable bagging on about it. Yeah, and then I was like, but this, there's so many things about this show that I would naturally love. And maybe, like, I'm approaching this in the wrong way. So I decided that my next big project, TV project, is watching The West Wing from the beginning. When are you going to start? When are you going to start? This weekend. I've got a night in. 
tonight i'm babysit and no i'm not babysit i'm looking after my son tonight and um i'm gonna start it tonight this is very exciting i am very exciting. excited i want a blow by blow update in fact every week this is gonna be a new regular I would section do the same you do it boy let's well, do, let's go to it the only thing is i did i watched it all of the time i loved it but i'm also in the middle of fucking battlestar galactica so i just haven't got oh, this is right. amazing boy you rewatch battlestar galactica <laughs> terry you do the west wing and we can make this whole podcast just about those two things yeah. i mean it is anyway what do you mean make it about yeah. like yeah yes, exactly. let's change the podcast dramatically and make it just about the west wing and battlestar galactica very excited about this have you ever interviewed aaron sorkin James? of course yeah have you not seen my 27 thousand words 27 thousand word oral legendary. history of the west wing which oral is online you can find wing. it uh, yeah. empireonline.com <laughs> slash west dash wing uh, and it's also in my twitter bio but yes it's twenty-seven thousand words it is a complete history of the show it is and i'm not being modest about this the greatest thing on the internet so I highly anyway, recommend sorry, everyone read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in other news, they're going to do a spin-off of The Boys, aren't they? Yes, about I that? saw yeah. this. The Girls. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, apparently it's like the massive, the biggest thing on Amazon Prime ever. I'm very pleased for them. It's, it's not that good. Are you, are you persevering with it? Of course it? I am. It's amazing. I'm watching it religiously. The next one drops today. The week-by-week week thing is driving me fucking nuts and have you seen the backlash to the fact that it's week by week like yeah it's been re- like yeah. it's been review bombed and everything so much so that there's a scene in the boys where homeland a psychotic homelander anthony Starr, is looking at sort of video coverage and he's getting he's just staring at the screen getting more and more annoyed and they've put out this sort of this gag viral marketing thing where he's looking at the tweets slagging off the show for the week by week format and just glaring at it i thought it was brilliant of them to lean into the criticism like that it's nice well maybe i'll, I'll go i'll go back in but the spin-off anyway is set at america's only college exclusively for young adult superheroes. I mean, that's not a new idea, is it? You can see it's fertile ground. It's not original by any stretch, but taking yeah. the tone of the boys and maybe applying it to that could be interesting. I mean, I'm here for it. I am definitely here for it. Of course you are. Of course I am. Yeah. Um, what else has been happening? Uh, Supergirl is ending with season six. I don't wildly care, but that's the thing that's happening. Um, <laughs> Tony Gilroy has stepped down from Cassie and Andor. The uh, Star Wars Disney <gasps> Plus series. So, yeah. No. Absolutely true. So, uh, <laughs> Why? maybe Gareth Edwards is going to step in and replace him. Listeners, <laughs> <laughs> if only you could see the expression on Terry's face that I can see. Thane's uh, <laughs> interest. Toby Haynes is going to step in to direct because uh, he was going to do, I think he was working on some of the later episodes anyway. So, he's going to take over from Tony Gilroy. What else has been happening? What else is happening? Right. I want to talk about. Um, a new drug, a uh, no, BBC drama coming up that is um, got an incredible cast. Uh, Rory Kinnear, Tamsin Althwaite, Tracy Anoverman, Eddie Marzan, Samantha Spiro, Rita Tushingham. It's called Ridley Road, and it's written by Sarah Soleimani, who mm. you'll know from him and her with Russell Tovey. She's writing now more and more. She's writing a show with Steve Coogan, um, and she's written this drama, which is really tells a really interesting story of the 62 Group, a coalition of Jewish men who stood up against neo-Nazis in post-war Britain. And it's going to be like a Jewish hero story, and I'm really here for that. And um, I think the cast looks amazing and just the, the idea that she's written this whole thing i think is brilliant so there you go that's coming soon ridley road on bbc one what else is happening uh game of thrones house of the dragon has been kicked down the road to 2022 so that's a thing uh but finally and most importantly boyd 
C. Season 2 is resuming production oh. in October. <laughs> Come on! For the C fan out there. Yeah, well, I'm, you, I'm thinking that literally C... Literally the only one. No, it's amazing. It's the best thing on TV, and you know it. Um, what about M. Night Shyamalan's thing? Have they, is that coming back? It's, they, it's, it's no C, Boyd. No, Servant, I'm it assuming is. it's coming back, but I don't know when. I'm assuming it is. But yeah, C, I'm very excited. But you'd think C is pretty, pretty... I mean, they shoot it out in the fucking wilderness. You would think of all the things yeah. that could get away with shooting, that one could, and socially distant. Yeah. Mm. Um, not finally, because I'm excited that Amma Asante is directing a TV drama series version of Smiller's Sense of Snow. Because Smiller's Sense of Snow, which was a, um, a, a book and incredibly... A yeah, it was a t- is a tedious film, but the original book by Peter Hook is fucking brilliant. It's one of my favourite books, one of my favourite crime novels, and it's stunning. And it's all about snow, and I think it's great that they're making a TV version of it because it's a really epic, long, juicy story yeah. that deserves it's like Ormond, an eight isn't part. It? It's Miller's feeling for snow, the film. Yeah. The film was just too. It didn't. It, it, it was. It didn't work. Didn't it? The film didn't work. Yeah. No. And I've got one more bit of news. Okay, go on. Last bit. <laughs> Jodie Whittaker is doing. Um, who do you think you are? The um, you know the the uh, family tree documentary series. Go without so saying, Boyd. I have no clue what who do you of think you are. Of course, you've never seen it. <laughs> of course, you've never seen it. But she's doing it. She'll be in the first episode coming up in the middle of October. And uh, David Williams is doing it. And Ruth Jones is doing it. And um, it'll be really interesting. Oh, and Liz Carr from the OA is doing mm. it. Okay. Slash Silent Witness. More famous for Silent Witness. To be fair to her. Right, I'm going to say that is it for news, if only because Terry couldn't possibly look more bored. But let's move on now to the review section. And first up in this week's reviews, we have Brave New World. This initially aired on Peacock in the US back in July and is an all-new adaptation of the Aldous Huxley sci-fi classic. And this one sees Alden Ehrenreich, Jessica Brown Findlay and Harry Lloyd in a future London where everyone is sorted into a grade-based caste system and they all pop happy pills to keep themselves smiling. Uh, Sci-fi dystopias might have lost some of their bite, I would say, given the state of the world we're living in these days. But Boyd, how did you find your trip to New London? Well, um, I quite enjoyed it to start with, to be honest. I thought I liked the way this establishes the world of Brave New World in the first episode and it pretty well in terms of, you know, literally world building, showing us this, um, in theory, utopian world um, where there's no crime. Um, In theory, everyone's happy. Everyone literally takes happy pills. Everyone's having an orgy pretty much 24-7. You're encouraged to have sex with as many people as possible rather than monogamy is literally outlawed. Um, All these ideas, which are from the original Aldous Huxley novel, pretty much all of them, I thought were entertainingly and skillfully established in the first episode they have ads you know they have like almost like tv ads for the world you can go to to see what what the world used to be like when there was monogamy and people got married and stuff like that which people have the only way they can learn about it is by visiting this special place and i thought that it's well cast i thought um harry lloyd particularly was very good Mm. as the he's kind of the central character he's he's an a plus um uh guy in the caste system and he but he's having doubts and he's got an issue with having <laughs> relentless um orgy sex and um jessica brown finlay meets up with her i thought their connection was was well done my problem with it is is that once it veers off from that world of new london and this shiny white logan's run 
feel kind of feel very modern you know future world if you like that's taking place when it veers into the other place of the savage lands where which which they then visit in episode two and you see the established savage which is where alden ehrenreich's character lives with his mum demi moore i found the whole alden ehrenreich demi moore subplot excruciating (laughs) i couldn't honestly to the point where i was like please don't go don't cut across to fucking alden ehrenreich and demi moore again because it's just it's just his character is a nothing. You've got Alden Ehrenreich, one of the best young actors in the world today, and you've given him this blank role where he's just reacting to stuff. There's, he's a completely passive character, at least in the first two or three episodes that I've watched. His mum, Demi Moore, is just annoying and wasted, and their dialogue is just unbelievably crap and boring. And and I thought it really sapped, sapped the energy from the show. And then in, in episode two, where they kind of, these worlds come together, it's slightly more interesting. There's one great set piece scene in episode two, which I won't spoil, which is all about when, when the worlds collide, if you like. But I can have, have a problem with with that with Alden Ehrenreich's character. I don't think he's interesting. And unless they do something really drastic with him in the rest of the series, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a problem. Like, see, I found this just, it was too much sort of surface. Like, if you think about the book and the kind of radical and bold nature of a lot of what is explored in the book, and I know it was written in a different time and all of that, I just think something about this was like a blank. Like, even when it was showing the orgies and this, and there's, there's, the production design, I will say the production design is amazing. You really buy into this kind of sleek, shiny, um, this this materialism and this world that they create is really rendered incredibly well. It's very seductive. Mm. Um, but it just, something about it was really flat and nothing about it seemed pretty radical or that the ideas weren't that interesting. Um like the Demi Moore thing completely through. I mean, we do have to say this cast is fucking ridiculous. Like yeah. I pulled up the list of people and it is absolutely absurd. And as you say, it's got like it's got the hottest arguably actor working today, one of them. There's just I didn't feel like any magic between any of them. There was a little bit of something, um, as you say, between Jessica Brown Finlay um and Harry Lloyd, like it's a little bit of maybe something starting, but I just thought the dialogue wasn't particularly sparky. Um, the whole thing just felt a bit flat and a bit meh. Um, and I think when you do have source material that is so radical and is so bold and so interesting, something about this just felt insignificant and kind of lacking in meaning and any and just any any sense of why you'd care about it or really any of the people as well. It just left me cold, I have to say. Mm. I, I think that's fair. I've watched this whole thing, so I reviewed it for Empire, but um, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it's, it's, it's gone, so the novel was written in 1932, so it's undergone quite a bit of updating uh, in terms mm. of now, like one of the things you can't have is privacy. So it's everyone is online all the time. You can see mm. through other people's eyes. It's a complete lack of privacy. There's a lot of commentary on social media and how we live now. Uh, it also, you know, the aesthetic of the whole world is some sort of brutalist Apple store, which is weird. Yeah. Um, but this, this... 
it changes as it goes as it goes on. So you have the introductory episode, then you have the Savage Land episode where you get introduced to Alden Wright's character John, and then he comes back to New London, and that's where you have the fish out of water stuff. Now there's a period of this for a few episodes there, once you come, where it's actually quite fun because Harry Lloyd plays this really well. He's he's an A plus, one of the alpha pluses, but he's also a little bit weasley and doesn't really fit in with him. He's a bit of an outcast, and he mm. plays it very well. He's very funny. He's He's likeable despite being quite petty and spiteful. And that thing of Aaron Wright going in and just like he wears black and he's a bit sweary and he's like, oh, he's a savage and everyone wants to shag him. You know, there's lots of fun being had there. <laughs> You've got him being being sort of like this sort of like um, social disruptor. You've got uh, Harry Lloyd's character desperately trying to capitalize on his relationship with John. And then you've got Jessica Brown Findlay, who's the most interesting character because she she's a beta plus, but she doesn't really fit into the society and she's the only one with real growth to her character she's growing out of this society and there's lots of fun to be had there however once the kind of social revolution happens as is inevitable in a story like this it gets a bit dull because the political stuff just feels like an afterthought and once you move away from the fun character interactions it's just there's not a lot going on and i feel it ends with a bit of a fizzle especially if you look at how the book ends which is significantly different uh and this one also it is it's kind of I won't say it's setting up a second season, but it certainly leaves you open to the possibility of continuing the story. But uh, yeah, it's, it feels like a misfire. This It's a little bit disappointing. It could have been a lot better. There's stuff to like about it, but ultimately, you know, it's maybe not worth yeah. that much of your time. I, I like the, I like, I, I'm actually, I like the idea that his goes back to um, New London. I'm interested in that. Mm. That sounds like it would be quite interesting but i do think it reminded me a little bit of why westworld was so good originally to start yeah. with because there are similarities and this feels like season three westworld <laughs> yeah. you know when it's kind of gone a bit a bit annoying and a bit and a bit dull to be honest whereas season one was so brilliantly done and, and, and did have sparkling fizzy dialogue and you know all of that and was constantly surprising you whereas this isn't really and i and do you know what i thought those orgy scenes were so interesting because you could see why the, the channel like a, a, an edgy new streaming service will be attracted to this because oh, we can have all these orgy scenes because everyone's <laughs> having sex all the time but they totally muffed they totally if you excuse me yeah. muffed them up because because they were like they weren't they, they weren't they were kind of over choreographed yeah. and i know they were literally choreographed by that by um eater o'brien who is the co intimacy coordinator of the day she does all of she did normal people and sex education she's a she's brilliant she's a genius but i think in this case it whether it's her or the director it, they, they even they fell flat yeah. didn't they those scenes were like felt too um coordinated too choreographed well, they weren't sexy. No, not sexy they in the slightest. Sexy. No. They weren't shocking no. at all. You've no. got, you're meant to have a mass right. orgy. Right. And it was like a weird performance yeah. art video. It was, exactly. The one in the nightclub was fucking yeah, ridiculous. It was a combination of the rave from The Matrix Reloaded and the <laughs> yes. comedy sex scenes in Love Actually, where, uh, yeah. where Martin Freeman is kind of like there and he's like, and just uh, there and just tweak the nipple slightly. Yeah. Like it's all very <laughs> sort of like by the numbers from it. It doesn't work at all. No. But there are such interesting things to say these days about class and about about connections and about how we live our lives and the meaning of privacy and the value and the commodity of privacy, right? Those things are all really fucking interesting, but they, you kind of never go further than a kind of initial kind of dip your toe in. There's no sense of properly engaging with that stuff mm. 
in a meaningful way. It's always kind of on the yeah. sidelines. It gets there's a there's a plot about a rogue AI, and then you know the galvanising of the underclass is all very interesting but very predictable. Um, yeah, it it, it it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity. I would say this mm. this show, but uh, but it does air on Sky One uh, beginning on Friday, October the second at nine p.m. Brave New World. Next up this week, we have Life, and this is a six-part spin-off of the BBC's Dr. Foster. It takes place in a collection of flats in a large Manchester house, one resident of which is Dr. Foster's neighbour, Anna, played by Victoria Hamilton, who is now going by the name of Belle as she seeks to rebuild her life. Terry, how does life measure up? So, like, what the fuck? I, I, A, this has literally got somebody from Dr. Foster in it, not the actor, the actual character. So that kind of took me by surprise. Now, anybody who loved Dr. Foster like I did will know that one of the best, if not the best things about Dr. Foster was Anna, right? So Anna played the woman across the road and basically she was a complete bitch. She both was there for her and wasn't there for her. She helped her spy. She set up a whole scam towards the end um, to break up um, her ex-husband and Jodie Comer. Like she was delicious, delicious, (laughs) deliciously like evil and mean, but then also you saw a real emotional side to her when her husband cheated on it. Like, this character in Dr. Foster is absolutely fascinating. Um, got some incredible dialogue. You were just fascinated by her. And then at the end, yeah, she leaves. And, and what you discover in life is that she, because she says actually in Dr. Foster that she's going to Edinburgh, but obviously she hasn't. She's ended up in Manchester. I do believe that her ex-husband, Neil, who's often referred to um, in this, is going to come back later in the series. But she was amazing. And so when I realised this, that they'd actually taken Anna, the character, and put her in Manchester, A, I thought, what's the fucking point of that? But after I thought that, I thought, oh, this is quite interesting because I love that character. Weirdly, all the stuff that I found intriguing and compelling about that character has kind of disappeared, um, which is really weird. All those slight edges to her and weirdness and her sense of humour, all that stuff's kind of gone. And I suppose it's, it's the, I don't know if the setup doesn't help. So the setup, as you kind of said, is it's one big house that's been divided into these four separate flats. And what it does is tell the individual stories, which all kind of overlap at points. So kind of like Love Actually, right, where you've got all these stories and it turns out that person lives near that person, that person knows that person through work. So it's a sense of all of their stories overlapping at certain points. So you have, I suppose, these four different stories happening. So you initially get Alice, amazing Alison Steadman, um, who's just about to celebrate her 70th birthday. He's married to a guy, Peter Davidson, who treats her like a bit of a dick. Um, you've got a guy who's seemingly happily married, um, but is tempted. Um, that turns out to be um, something entirely different. Um, you have Belle. Um, who was called Anna, um, who basically has to cope when her life's a bit unended when her niece arrives after her mum's had mental health problems. And then you've got a very pregnant woman um, who you quickly learn has um, had a one night stand nine months before, almost nine months before is pregnant. Um, and she's she now has a, a nice, um, sensible boyfriend. And the guy she got pregnant with is, is not really or newly in their lives. So some of these stories are more interesting, I suppose it's fair to say, than others. 
There is um, one very weird <laughs> subplot that I randomly guessed because I think it's, it's flagged quite heavily, but it's totally weird and random. So I don't know about this, I have to say, because I, I found some of the stories more compelling than others. The points at which they intersect didn't really seem that interesting to me other than they lived, happened to live in flats in the same house. All the stuff I'd loved about Anna as a character... Um, don't really seem to be present. And weirdly, I figured it would be mainly about Anna with these kind of very small subplots, but they're kind of, they all get the same amount of screen time and same amount of attention. So there's no kind of one story really keeping you compelled. So your attention's constantly being split. So within, you know, an hour program, which it is almost, um, I found it hard to get really interested in any of the strands, even when one of them went quite weird. So I'm not, I have to say, I'm not, I'm not convinced by this. I think the initial setup isn't that strong and actually places loads of weird restrictions on, on the stories and the way you can tell them. Um, And you have to kind of be invested in all the stories and I'm kind of not. And I really think it would have been better if it had been a big kind of main Anna story with some other bits around it potentially but you know this isn't a new idea this this whole thing of having people's who lives overlap by the means of where they live or where they work or something like that um so I was kind of quite meh about it in the end I thought it was fine but I I didn't get to the end and, and desperately want to see another episode that's for sure yeah I really liked it and I think I mean, I I guess, like, I kept telling you it was a spin-off from Dr. Foster. In, in, no, you know, yeah, I knew it was yeah, a spin-off right. from Dr. Foster because it's also, which I probably didn't say this, which I should, is that it's, you know, Mike Butler yeah, right. from Dr. Foster right, right. who wrote Dr. Foster. But I didn't think it would be an actual uh, character from okay. Dr. Foster okay. who's then, it's a spin-off of her life right, and the right, people right. around her. Well, that's, that, uh, that's a big difference. That's interesting. Thing. Uh, that is interesting because I think that this is going to annoy people, right, because... In a slight nurse ratchet way, actually, there's no need for this to be a spin-off of Foster. Well, quite. there's literally no need for it, and I and I don't know if this is true at all. I have no idea. I haven't asked or read up on it, but I feel like this is a Mike Bartlett, an ambitious Mike Bartlett new series, drama series, mm. as you say, about a group of people addressing life changing issues. That's the th- the theme of it. Really, is people trapped in a life. And they want an escape, and there's lots of people trapped, but in different ways. You know, the the girl who's pregnant, and re- and I think quite soon you're going to realise that the guy who she slept with, who's the father child, is much more interesting and fun and good looking than a boring boyfriend. Which you is know. really obvious. It's yeah. not. He's not very oh, good yeah, at subtlety. Right? Oh, yeah. Is it? Here comes the boring yeah. boyfriend who says something exactly. boring. Exactly. And he's funny and he's got a sense of yeah. humour and like it's oh, so like. Oh, you're right. Load yeah. it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And similarly, Peter Davison is unbelievably annoying as Alice Stedman's husband, and she clearly needs to get away from him and all of that. Um, so there's definitely, there are themes about big, you know, life ideas and what it's like to kind of be trapped in a situation, all of that. And 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 there's no need to have this character from Dr. Foster, who, as you say, was great, a, a great, great supporting character. And she's now just kind of facilitating the other characters doing their stuff. And I'm sure, yeah. you know, I've only watched the first episode. I'm sure she'll come into her own more as it goes on. But I just feel it's it's a misselling of this series. because And the genre is different. Dr. Foster was an intense, really, it was a psychological thriller, wasn't it? Was it was a psychological thriller, Like, yeah. it was so intense. 
And series two was really even more intense. Like the way that was directed and written and filmed it was almost like a horror film at points. Yeah. This is this is a fairly blandly, you know, nicely shot stuff about life. And it's just a different thing. And I think, so I think people are going to be annoyed about it. But if you clear all that away, if you forget Dr. Foster, if you imagine like Belle is a whole new, just a new character, I, I really enjoy watching Alice Stedman getting a juicy three-dimensional role. I really like, you know, I thought she, she was brilliant. I think she's absolutely you brilliant. You are and everything, deranged, but, I, but let no, me ask you a question. You've actually answered the question I wanted to ask, which is like, I've, Dr. Yeah. Foster is a show I have never watched. And it's always been on my list. Oh, I've got to watch that. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a drama. It's going to be quite serious. And I watched this and I was like i am never watching dr foster if it is as trashy and oh, no. soapy as this shit no, it's nothing well, it's like trashy. it it's is, it is trashy i mean the thing about dr foster is boys right it's it's a hardcore psychological thriller like it's much more kind of extreme in many respects and it is like a horror film at points and bits and it's quite shocking at points and it really goes there not yeah. like this. Yeah. But boy, you're, you're like, oh, well, it tackles themes of life. But but that includes everything. It's so broad. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, like, I agree. It oh, is. She's getting to the, she's going to have her 70th birthday and she's going to bring new life into the world. And he's dealing, and it's like the themes are so big. It's it can just... mean anything in life. Yeah. He's got no focus. Oh, I agree. No it hasn't. Coherence. You're right. No, I cannot defend it on those grounds at all. And do you know what? I actually think these, because you're right, this has been done before. You know, there have been a, quite a few attempts to do like contemporary life you know with characters dealing with big issues in a share in the same location it's not yeah. a new idea and i almost think uh, but i am i can't I, I, before you two like uh, james sent us a text saying he was fucking annoyed about it i was like i really enjoyed it uh, so I, I i just think it's well i think everyone's in it is really good and it's really well cast and, I'm, and i do, i am invested in it i really want to know you where are it goes quite open to an accepting of shall we say soapy content you know what i mean like and i know you hate it when we describe things as soapy in, in a sort of pejorative term yeah but i know but what you mean it is it is it's high, so high class overwrought soap. and it's like it, there, this is about as subtle as an elephant to the face like there's a bit where she's having a bit of a moment oh god i've wasted my life i'm trapped in this marriage and then you you camera pans across to a fucking bee that's trapped behind him and you're like oh my god could you overcook this metaphor anymore it's right. just such a, and then yeah but i mean there was a rat walking on the wall at the end of you know that that martin scorsese film but also and we can't talk about the weird subplot but can we please talk about the weird subplot we can't say what it is because it's a spoiler but i was this is when i texted you off this i'm like what the fuck is happening all I'm just going to say is escalator. Well, I genuinely wasn't sure if that was supposed to be funny. Like, it's just... Dr. Foster is so good at what it mm. does. And I know that's not your cup of tea, but it's tons of people's cup of tea. And it's done really well and executed brilliantly. And it has strong and bold and interesting dramatic ideas. My issue is with this is that it doesn't have that boldness and that strength and that, like pushing into weird places. There's a bit at the end of season two of Dr. Foster where she breaks the fourth wall and speaks directly to the camera. And it's the like it's so out of keeping for that kind of show to ever do that. There are moments like that all the way through. This for me is like not memorable and not interesting. But the it's thing like is, isn't they've it? Got this form the thing form. we can't discuss is is out there. I mean, we've been... yeah, but weird. <laughs> like, but we in a weird way that's then not really tackled and it's kind of like so far. Tossed away, the whole thing being set in this house cannot be alone enough to make it interesting. 
And, you know, it's like what I started off saying. The first question is why? Why would you bring this amazing character who was a supporting character from another show to this and then not even service her properly? Like, it's bizarre. I don't understand. But I just want to say, Mike Bartlett's thing, subtlety is not his thing, right? So, I mean, that is absolutely true. And I don't think, it, and, and Dr. Foster wasn't subtle in any way, but it was fucking brilliantly done. I think this is a completely different genre, and I just wish, forget about Dr. Foster, I still think it's enjoyable and entertaining and interesting, in my opinion. Right. It's fun. Okay. It's fun. Well, I may at some point now. <laughs> You're not going to like either of them, so just let's yeah. draw a line yes, under Let's draw a line yeah. under this. I'm never watching this again. Jesus Christ. Uh, so, life, life begins <laughs> on BBC One on Tuesday, September. <laughs> the 29th at 9pm which takes us on to the final show this week which is The Comey Rule, a three hour two part adaptation of former FBI director James Comey's memoir A Higher Loyalty that recounts the circumstances leading up to Trump's election, an event that Comey had no small part in, uh, and then the fallout after his inauguration and the events that led up to Comey's eventual firing so to say this should probably come with a global trigger warning is perhaps an understatement, but Boyd (laughs) how did you find watching this dramatic reenactment of a national disaster wow i mean this is a horror story um it is it's really interesting there's so many interesting things about this so i have to try and keep it short because we can't <laughs> we go could on, be on this for like an hour but we could be on this for a long time so first of all billy ray wrote and directed this who you know is most most famous writing captain phillips he wrote richard jewell um etc etc he wrote he you know he's, he does write stuff about real life um incidents from real life people and he insisted this went out in america next week before the election because originally showtime it's a showtime show in america they were going to show it in november after the election he was like no so i think in his mind this is a piece of like activism like he's exposing via james comey the former head of the fbi's own book in which he outlines you know what trump the ludicrous stuff that trump was accused of and the way he dealt with it and i think he thinks by depicting trump as this kind of like almost mafioso marlon brando and the godfather figure as played by brendan gleason in a hilarious <laughs> and amazing and brilliant way but forewarned he doesn't pop up until episode two yeah, so you have to yeah. hold the first half is without him um, I think he thinks this is going to like change the minds of America and they're all going to vote for fucking against Trump and he's going to save the world. I'm like, no, they're not. This is an absolute classic slice of Hollywood liberal bullshit, like nonsense with like, it was James Comey played by Jeff Daniels is regarded as this God of like do of morality. And he's like, you know, I mean, he's someone who, re- who revealed that Hillary Clinton, they were going to, they had to revive the investigation of Hillary Clinton's emails, which he didn't have to do. And this is, this is regarded in this drum as being like the most conflicted a human being could ever be in history. And he gets blamed for um, electing Donald Trump. And you're supposed to feel sorry for him. I don't know if I really did. It's so, but ignoring that, and with the fact that no one, no Trump voter in their right mind is going to watch this. They're not going to be slightly interested. I actually think it's very entertaining, and I really loved, I loved it. I particularly loved Gleason as Trump. I absolutely loved um, watching uh, Kingsley yeah. Benadir from the yeah. OA as Barack Obama. He is 30 years younger mm. than Barack Obama, but it doesn't matter. He absolutely oozes Obama's like dignity and goodness and just humanity in the way he moves and the way he sits there listening it's fucking brilliant and it is like and the horror is because obviously he's a br- this brilliant figure and you're like yeah fucking obama how great it was he and then trump arrives and you're like oh my god this the fucking nightmare begins it's like the trump and the anti-trump again 
it's not subtle it's so unsubtle this whole series but i did i love this stuff i love dramatized versions of fairly recent political history especially when you've got brendan gleason going way sinking his teeth into donald trump it is funny it's um it's preposterous some of it it's kind of blatantly unfair in many ways on all kinds of the real characters there's a there's a framing device in which um scoop is rod rosenstein kind of slags off um, uh, James Comey so like, like to pretend it's trying to be fair when really James Comey is oh, absolutely yeah. the god of this show but I really enjoyed it it's not going to achieve anything uh, I think Donald Trump might actually like by the way his depiction in this because I think because he's kind of depicted as some kind of mastermind villain as opposed to being a complete fucking idiot so I think he will quite like it so I I told you James I had to turn this off <laughs> halfway through because I found it so infuriating and so upsetting and I've read quite a lot of books on you know what happened with the Hillary campaign and um read so much about it there was something as you say triggering about this which I, I mean, it made it impossible to watch it I had to watch it in two sittings I watched the first episode and a half so I wanted to see Trump enter the scene so there's a few things about this I think Billy Ray is as a writer, has, has always been able to make um, conversations of a certain industry that you may not normally understand. He makes it understandable by a larger audience without completely dumbing it down. You know, think about State of Play, for example. I think he really understands how to write that kind of dialogue. However, the dialogue in this is so contrived and on the nose because... I know he's working from his book, Higher Loyalty, but right, but you have this sense of, or they're trying to create this sense of Comey is, as you say, this this total is so conflicted that, you know, he's all he cares about is doing the right thing. And he's a tragic hero who got put in this impossible position. And some of the dialogue is so on the nose. You get the stakes. You get the stakes. They say over and over and over again what the stakes are. But then instead of leaving it, they then have dialogue which reinforces the stakes. So there's a bit in a meeting where one of his staff, and they're talking about um, sending a letter to confirm that they have, have found a new laptop and they're going to be looking at new evidence and there's just days to go to the election. And a, a female staffer who works for him says, um, what if our doing this results in the election of Donald Trump as president? And Comey goes, that's a great question. Thank yeah. you for asking it. Down that road lies the death to the FBI as an independent force in American life. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, and then there's a bit where his daughter, who is, you know, pro um, Hillary, um, he goes in to see her after making the decision to send that letter. And she apparently says, are you doing the right thing? And he says, I think so. I'm pretty sure. And then she goes, then that's it. I love you, Dad. <laughs> like, there are bits like that which just made my skin crawl because we understand, and we understand the conflict, and we understand that we're meant to feel sorry for him as a father and a husband of liberal women who are probably now going to be under threat like every woman is in Trump's America because he's a misogynist. And, you know, we understand what the stakes are. This weird attempt to kind of paint him as this ultimate conflicted moral character i just found really difficult to watch and i think it's a really hard pill to swallow because that's what you're being 
made to understand is that, you know, he's simply a moral guy who got put in an impossible position and that's all there is to it. Um, There's a bit, you know, and they go so far trying to make him look noble. There's a whole scene where he asks somebody who works for him about his daughter's recital. And you're meant to, like, appreciate the fact that he knows (sighs) that about the guy who works for him. Now, now let's get on to Trump. So I read a New York Times piece, right, about... Um, this and it said and it was brilliant. It it compared, um, <laughs> it compared Trump in this to Jaws, right? To the shark of Jaws. In that they say the real lead is Donald Trump in the same sense that regardless of its minutes on camera, the true lead of Jaws is the shark. And it is like that. It said it's like a horror film, right? So there's a shot at the end of the first episode where you see his back and you see the shape of his hair. And there are a couple of scenes early on where you feel his shadow or you're aware of his presence, but you don't see him. And it's such a brilliant filmmaking decision to frame him like that and to have him off camera so long because you hear him before you see him. And they do really interesting things. Brendan Gleeson does really interesting things with how he depicts how he sounds. So the heavy breathing, the constant sniffing, mm. all of these things take so much. I mean, they're in every, he works so mm. hard in every scene. Yeah. What I will say is that accent, <laughs> and I understand that Brendan Gleeson is Irish. There's a definite Australian <laughs> thing going on um, in, in moments. And it's, there's something weird because it looks like, an impression oh, yeah. and I don't know if there's any way to be Trump mm. without it looking like an expression because he's so ridiculous the way he talks the, I thought he did a really interesting thing with how he used his mouth and his jaw and how he tried to kind of get all of that across and it's definitely it is grotesque at points and it is more like a horror film or a weird parody it's, it's, I can't explain it that the, the I'm not saying it's a bad performance. It's very caricatured. Yeah, there's something very... I don't know. There's something something really compelling about it, I have to say. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this is, like, actually really good in points and then super frustrating in points. And, and yeah, some of that dialogue really doesn't ring true. But I'm fascinated. Like, I'm devastated that I didn't get to watch the end of the second episode. I'm, like, desperate to watch the third Something about it I find really, um, really compelling, but it is still massively triggering and upsetting to see it all, like, roll out. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like, this is, for me, like, this was described online as being ideological torture porn, and I think that is a perfect description Mm -hmm. for what this is. Like, I found watching this absolutely horrific. Like, to me, it was, like, reliving, like, one of the worst things that happened to you. And I I just, I I really, it was traumatic. Traumatic, absolutely traumatic to relive this event and see how it happened. Mm. It was like it was like having PTSD. Um, but it's it's an odd one because on the one hand, it's not great for all the reasons you've said. It's incredibly heavy-handed. It's the most unsubtle thing since life. And you know, and you've got this pure <laughs> scheming Russians that you see in silhouette. And because and, we oh are Russian God. villains and we speak with subtitle and, uh, and they look like they've been ripped oh straight out of Jack Ryan. Like, it's just unbelievable. This is so incredibly biased. Exactly what Boyd said. No Trump supporters ever watching this because it's the most biased thing no. ever. Um, that said, 
I couldn't stop watching it and I found it really yeah. compelling and I, I was quite interested mm. to see because we've all seen Comey as a bit of a villain for what he did it was quite interesting to see it from an, and make no mistake this is his perspective to see from his point of view why he thought he had to do these things and how he's lived with the consequences of it and this does very much this is kind of a redemption story for him showing that he's the good guy in all this and that may or may not be true but it was very interesting to see that point of view and see all of these actual characters and how they behaved and you know how trump interacted with this and look we all know at this point what trump is and who he is but it's very clearly spelled out in this series uh and you know even and it is and it's heavy-handed where they talk about you know what does russia stand to gain by getting trump elected and they go alienation of allies trade war with china drilling in the arctic you're just in your mentality going check 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 all of these things have happened and one guy goes trump has three impulses that drive his decision making spite spite and spite (laughs) you're like okay (laughs) we get it I mean, and it's even a line where he goes, my behavior, I'm still doing a Godfather voice. He's like, my behavior has been yeah. unimpeachable. Like, it's very, oh my God, I mean, it's moment. very, very unsubtle. But it, this for me was like watching an episode of Black Mirror, except it's fucking real. Um, so it was traumatic, but it is, it's very compelling television. Um, Boy, right, mm. it's not going to do anything. Mm. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anyone's mind. But it's, it's, I think it's a good thing to watch just to maybe get a feeling for what happened and to understand, you know, these events in our history i think it's you know it's good television and it is a little bit self-aware in the you know the second episode or i should say it's actually quite confusing so in the u.s this aired on two nights as two feature length episodes where sky have split it into two chunks of two episodes over two weeks so you've got four episodes but they're only on two nights so it's very confusing didn't you think right i thought halfway through once once and 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 terry's so right about george right even to the point where the more you see of him the less frightening it becomes like with a shark yeah when you first see him it's like you see the fin in the water the first thing you see is the flapping tie yeah (laughs) exactly yeah um and there is an equivalent of the shot munching through (laughs) the body scene as well but didn't you think I suddenly thought this would be 10 times better if you stripped out James Comey entirely and just made it about fucking Trump and I think Billy Ray really really he just wants to do a drama exposing Trump for, for the monster oh. uh, it's like the Comey stuff I is see like, I oh, like well, the Comey right. stuff I mean I think Jeff Daniels is great I really enjoyed that but he's he Jeff is, Daniels he is. isn't he but I enjoyed that performance in... and I thought it works really yeah. well that they intercut this dramatic stuff with actual footage of Hillary Clinton of Sean Spicer of Sarah Huckabee Sanders people like so it really hits home how this fits into real life events because we you know you're seeing broadcasts of stuff that we watched at the time on television but all of the all the casting is very caricatured you know from trump right down oh yeah holly hunter I mean, playing holly 100%. hunter it's it's just you know, i love her but it's yeah it's, a, it's an odd one this is i do encourage people to watch it i think it's very compelling television yeah. i really do yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I'm definitely. I'm going to watch yeah. it to the end. Like, absolutely no question. Yeah. I'm probably put my fist through the screen. Oh god! By yeah. the end, you of absolutely it. will. Like, uh, well, the Comey Rule does uh, air on Sky Atlantic. The first two episodes, which are in fact the first one episode, air on Wednesday, <laughs> September the thirtieth at nine pm, and the second episode, which is now episodes three and four, airs a week later. <laughs> so there you go. The Comey yeah. Rule. Oh. <sighs> Right. What else is out this week, boy? There are other things abroad. Yeah. 
I just need to mention mainly um, that um, there is a really important, I would say, use that word, um, two-part drama on ITV on Monday and Tuesday at 9 o'clock called Honour, which stars Keely Hawes as the real-life police officer who investigated a case of, in very heavy quotes, honour killing um, in the London Iraqi Kurd community when this uh, woman, um, Banaz Mahmoud, was killed. And um, it's an incredibly powerful piece of TV drama. It's a real, it's, it's both a, a true crime drama but it's also a campaigning thing and campaigning for these women who are often trapped in excruciating situations to be listened to because this woman went to the police four or five times complaining about what was happening to her and they did not take it seriously and she ended up dying so it's like it's a it's a properly important piece of tv drama and kitty horse is fucking brilliant into as mm. you would expect so that's on a, on itv on monday and tuesday i think that's the main new, thing is it a new series of svu on five usa which starts on october the first well, it's not the, la- it's the no, latest so. one right. on five, but the, oh, okay. yeah, not, we're like way behind yeah, the stage. Don't get me started on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't yeah. get me started. Emily in Paris, the un unspeakably awful um, looking yeah. Netflix show it starts yeah. on October the 2nd hey I've not seen it it might be a masterpiece I'm just going by the trailer no yeah they did not offer a screen by uh, Darren Starr the creator of Sex and the City and yet yeah. it looks interesting uh, the new oh. spitting image starts on October the 3rd oh yeah that's true yeah that'll be interesting have you seen the trailer I thought looks I have to say mm. terrible but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be good. No. <laughs> It'll be interesting anyway. And the live third day, is that on, that's October the 3rd as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that is, that, yeah, which goes from 9am to 9pm yeah. on Sky um, Arts. Yes, the third yes. day And autumn. it's filmed in one take. I mean, yes. <laughs> if you've got 12 hours to spare, yeah. feel free to watch the second section of the third yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> concept yeah right well that is everything that's out this week we would now have the banshee segment except we can't because terry has a hard out i could go first and like yeah. run right i'm gonna go so loved up was a 1990s um bbc i think drama which was by peter catania catania i want to say who went on to direct full monty and it was what was intended to be um, a it was meant to be for kids, so I've heard, but it ended up being more for adults. It stars Lena Headey and Ian Hart, and they're basically a couple who fall in love in a cafe. He introduced her to ecstasy and the rave scene. She's having a really hard time at home because her mum's an alcoholic and she's got a younger sister, and the rave scene and ecstasy is a complete, basically, like, escape for her from the life she's had to live. Somebody recommended this to me on Instagram. Um, it is a um, a film that was on TV, but not a film, proper film. So I'm saying by the rules, it's allowed. I really like this. Lena Headey's amazing. Ecstasy, woo woo! Um, really good. Watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Bye bye. Wow. Okay. And Terry's gone because she has an important phone call. So Boyd, it's just you and me for the rest of Banshee. Yeah, this is weird. Um, I will go next. Uh, I'm going to. I should say. I should say. While we're on the subject of Banshee, we have an official new pilot tv archivist steve wow. dinning the man who created the original banshee spreadsheet for us you know the one that i never look at and yeah. or update properly yeah so I, because it has become apparent that i'm incapable of updating it steve has agreed to update it himself and keep it updated so he is now the official wow. keeper of the banshee records for the pilot tv podcast so um that said the one i'm about to do now i'm almost 100 percent convinced i've done before but it's not on the spreadsheet so steve either steve's made a mistake or i have not done it before and i'm sure steve hasn't made a 
mistake, so it's probably I haven't. So I want to talk about Thorn. Do you remember, boy? Do you remember Thorn? Yes, I do yes. remember Thorn. Yes, yeah, indeed. On Sky. So this was indeed. It was a Sky One adaptation of the Mark Billingham crime novels. And this is really novels. funny you've chosen this, as I'll get to in a minute when we get to mine, but carry on. Okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> this is, is uh, two of Mark Billingham's novels, Sleepyhead and Scaredy Cat, were adapted. Uh, three episodes each, so six episodes in total. Only ran for one se- series this did. Uh, but what I really liked about this is, like, I love a Brit crime novel, and the Billingham ones are actually really, really good. But this had, uh, I think it had Natasha McElhone in it, um, Aidan Gillen's in it, Eddie Marsan, but obviously had Dave Mo- David Morrissey, the great David Morrissey, in the lead as... As Thorn himself, Detective Thorn. Uh, but what's really funny about this? So, so Morrissey had been uh, doing a film in New Zealand, and it was winter, and he was on his own, and he was bored, and he really needed a book. So he found the first Thorn novel, and he really liked it. And apparently, he then Googled it and found a Q and A session with Mark Billingham, who had said in this Q and A, if his books were ever made to the screen, he'd like David Morrissey to play Thorn. And he was just like, well, it's fate. I've got to do it. And so he did it and did these two adaptations. And it's really good. The first one's about sort of locked-in syndrome, which is, it's, I mean, it's really creepy, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a great little too independent it's a bit like you know the way strike does where they do it in so many things where they're adapting novels and it's just one case each so you only get these two cases only six episodes this uh this aired back in 2010 but morrissey's fantastic in it and it is really good i think david morrissey has said in the past he would quite like to do all I think, so there are 10 there are 10 thorn novels uh morrissey said in the past he'd quite like to do you know more or indeed all of them but i don't know whether or not that's ever going to happen so we'll have to see i think uh i think the walking dead kind of put paid to it so once he got cast at the governor in the walking dead doing yeah. more thorns became a little bit you know thorny so yeah never happened but boyd why is this why is this appropriate because i've picked david morris's first <laughs> i've picked his first um role first big role which was in one summer in 1983, when he was 18 years old. And um, it's one of my favorite um, things when I was growing up. So 67, 77, so I was 16 when this came out. And it's about two 16-year-old boys, played by Morrissey and Spencer Lee, who we haven't seen that much of since, but was absolutely heartbreaking Mm. in this. And it was about two working-class Liverpool boys who run away um, to Wales to kind of and, and run away to the countryside and they kind of meet interesting people played by the likes of um, uh, Sean McKee and Ian Davis and James Hazeldean and um, and Ian Hart is in it and um, it's very and it, it's an incredibly moving um, powerful piece of TV it was five parts five hour long parts um, on Channel 4 and it was the thing that brought that first brought our attention to David Morris who's obviously, mm. as you say, has been brilliant ever since. And he, but Willie Russell, who wrote it, um, was annoyed at the time because he thought that, that Morrissey was too old at 18 <laughs> to play a 16 year old. Um, well, you know, nowadays it's like everyone who plays 16 year olds are in their 30s. So yeah, I yeah. think he soon got used to that and, and was fine with it. It's also just coming out on Blu ray for the first time. So um, that's, that's, that's why I kind of remembered it. Plus the fact that David Morrissey's on was on our podcast. I believe he was on your um, Empire podcast this week as he well. He was indeed. He was, I guess, go. on the live Empire podcast, yeah. which we did last night right. as we record. But when right. we go out, it will have been last Thursday. Right. Because I've uh, met Dave, David many times. And I when I, I finally. Every time I met him and interviewed him, I met. I have to talk to him about one summer because it was such a part of growing up. And he was like, "Yeah, 
me too it was such a brilliant thing to do absolutely still very proud of it still means a huge amount to him and um yeah get it on blu-ray now i'm certainly going to get it on blu-ray he was in he was in doctor who wasn't he back in the day yeah yeah but i am he first came to my attention i believe in state of play state of play being one of the greatest things that have ever been on television of course but he was magnificent in that but uh yes big big fan of his work so that's that's it for our david morrissey loving um and that is it for another episode of the pilot tv podcast as ever we are always grateful for your five star reviews on apple podcasts even if they come with recriminations as faketon of islands did when they left their five star review with the heading selling sunset selling shame and they say oh boyd what have you done you've made a fool of everyone i sat down with the family to watch selling sunset after boyd banged on about it i love boyd on the pod but i now know why i love jimbo even more selling sunset is the pits my family were appalled that my usual impeccable taste had slipped what can i say we had to watch instant hotel with llb to recuperate rock on terry sorry Boyd. that's brilliant that is brilliant well, if you want to join the official Selling Sunset fan club, then feel free to contact Boyd on at Boyd Hilton. For your instant hotel needs, Terry is at Terry <laughs> underscore White, and I'm at James C. Dyer if you want to talk about absolutely anything else. Uh, Pilot, like a bad penny, will pop back up next week when you'll get the incomparable pleasure of hearing Terry review the new YA Walking Dead spinoff, World Beyond, which I, and I'm sure you too, Boyd, cannot wait to hear. Um, <laughs> yes. We'll also be taking a look at Disney Plus's reboot of Philip Kaufman Astro adventure the right stuff and seeing mike flanagan's return in the haunting of bly manor which comes to netflix as well so keep an ear out for that pilot out mm-hmm.